Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. The reading is taken from Mark's Gospel, page 1030. Jesus anointed at Bethany. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, Reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, What she has done will also be told in memory of her. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It's lovely to uh, see you here. And um, whether you're new or a regular, thank you so much for joining us. We've started this new term uh, exploring in our morning sermon series, What is Church? And it's lovely this morning, in a sense, to be thinking both totally externally, what are we doing out there, but also to be thinking about what about us. Uh, We felt really that after the upheaval of the last uh, few years, and I was having a conversation with someone just before the service about exactly this, we need to be reminded again of what the whole purpose of us as a community of believers is. Uh, now, if you followed it, we've uh, looked at the first few uh, sermons at uh, a few chapters from 1 Corinthians, 
12 to 14, we thought about how the Lord has made us each for the other, how his way for us to relate to one another is, is one of love, and specifically how we express that love uh, when we gather by building one another up. And uh, we've, we've done that really because I think you, you can't spend two years being told how to get social distance between yourself from, and everyone else without struggling really actually at some level to, to get back together with people afterwards. Now, why do we gather? Why do we bring, ourselves, bring one another back together? Do we continue as we have done in the past? One of the ways of working out the answer to that question is to think about the purpose of our gatherings. And so that's why today we're coming onto this subject of worship. We're asking, what is it? Why do we gather to do it? And I'm praying really that wherever you're coming from this morning, whether that's something that you've thought about lots before, or whether frankly you've never really asked yourself the question before, you would receive a new motivation, a new desire to follow your calling as a worshipper, both as an individual, but also here within the people of God. But first I want to just step back to ask this question. What is worship? What is this activity that we're actually talking about? Well, I think it helps to notice, first of all, that worship is everywhere. It's great to be praying for Ukraine just now. You may have picked up that uh, the Friday before last, Russia's president signed a decree annexing uh, four new regions, regions in fact in the territory of Ukraine, to the Russian Federation as part of his vision to make a greater Russia. And to mark this occasion, he put on a, a large-scale public event uh, on Red Square in front of the Kremlin, and there was a massive stage built. You may have seen the pictures of it. Towering panels in red, white, and blue on either side of the stage. Great big banner across the top. A famous Russian uh, actor and Putin advocate, Ivan Okhlubustin, he came. He gave a rousing speech. He told the world to, to be afraid because we're coming. At which point, he was obviously looking for a, a rousing cheer from the sea of spectators. And I mention this partly because I want to remind us, don't forget about what's happening in Ukraine. Let's keep supporting one another. Let's look out for our Ukrainian friends. It's lovely to have some amongst us this morning. Uh, and let's support those who are hosting Ukrainian families. But I mention it mainly because it reminds us that worship is everywhere. You can worship the ideal of a powerful and glorious nation. You can build stages and write speeches for its glory. You can worship a piece of technology. Yesterday, Elon Musk uh, uh, unveiled the Optimus robot, the Tim Cooks and Elon Musks of this world. When they unveil that whatever their next piece of technology, they kind of set it up almost like a worship service because they want us to be enthralled, thinking, yes, that will make me complete. I want it. Here's my however many thousands of dollars. We can worship pleasure. We can worship ambition. We can give our entire lives at the sacrifices of the altar of career progression. In fact, worship, expressing reverence and adoration for something as if it were divine, the ultimate, that is something we cannot not do. Everyone worships something. You and I worship something. The thing is, of course, not everything is equally worthy of our worship. There's a song I used to listen to by a guy called Stephen Curtis Chapman. 
And um, it hasn't aged brilliantly, okay? So I, I just need to uh, give you some background details here before I share the lyric. You, you may be either too young or too old to have heard of the Game Boy. Let me tell you what it is. Uh, it's, a, it's a portable computer games console, okay? So with that knowledge, here we go. Here's the lyric. He says, I'm playing Game Boy standing in the middle of the Grand Canyon. I'm eating candy sitting at a gourmet feast. I'm wading in a puddle when I could be swimming in the ocean. Tell me, what's the deal with me? Wake up and see the glory. It's a lovely picture, Game Boy in the middle of the Grand Canyon. You know, sometimes we are transfixed by lesser things. We fail to wake up and see what's truly glorious. Now, just as the Game Boy in the Grand Canyon is a bit tragic, so there is something so utterly good and true and wholesome when, when we worship that which is really worthy of worship. When our greatest loves are trained on something that is truly lovely, that is, that's amazing. That's just so right. And of course, that thing, that person is God. And that leads me on to my, my first point. First of three little uh, sound bites I'd love to keep hold of with you as, as we're thinking about um, Christian worship. In our worship, we aim for the glory of God. We're aiming at the glory of God. The reading we just heard gives this a beautiful picture of worship in the Bible. Jesus is a guest at a supper party, and a woman comes in, and she breaks this jar of hugely expensive perfume, and she pours it on Jesus' head. It's, it's a literal outpouring of worship. Now, there's a bunch of people uh, sitting around who are, are, are pretty surprised. In fact, they feel it's rather unnecessary, rather wasteful. Uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 4 says this, Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuke this lady harshly. But Jesus responds with a different perspective. He sees it differently. Verse 6, he says, Leave her alone said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. She's done a beautiful thing to me. That's a great little summary of what worship is. It is doing something beautiful for Jesus. Something that adorns Jesus, if you like. An action that flows out of a deep heart of devotion. And actually, what's so great about the waste, in inverted commas, of this particular moment in Scripture is that it underlines her action serves no other purpose. Yes, the perfume could have been sold and used for other purposes. But actually, this moment is nothing other than about the glory of God. Now, why did she do it? Well, she did it, I guess, because she understood uniquely, perhaps, around that table, who she was in front of. And what he was going to do. We only get a hint of this in, in this chapter. But uh, it's there I think in Jesus' words. He says she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. The, the point is this woman understood something about her saviour. And the cross that he was going to die on. She somehow grasped he was going to give his life for her. He was going to win her forgiveness and acceptance, freedom from her shame, and so much more. And she just had to worship him. That's worship. Now, I wonder whether you can identify with that. 
is perhaps not the most obvious picture of worship that we'd ever had. And actually, I, I picked this picture for a reason, because it involves no music and, as far as we know, no words. And the reason I, I picked it for that reason is, is it strips away any possibility of us making the shortcut between thinking, oh, worship, I know all about that. That's the thing we do in church. It may or may not be the thing we do in church. Undoubtedly, worship happens in church. Equally, it's possible to walk into church and never worship. And frankly, it's probably possible to worship at your desk. It definitely is. After an honest days of work for the glory of God. Actually, it's possible to work in a very, to worship in a very awkward moment at a dinner party. That's what she did. Actually, worship is not, in its essence, an activity in a particular place. It's all about an attitude of the heart directed in love towards the greater glory of God. And that's what we're called for. It's what we're made for. And of course, often, worship does lead to singing. But the song, if you like, only comes afterwards. So the beginning of that psalm that we heard, um, Psalm 96, at the beginning of our service today, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all the peoples. All the singing comes for the end of God's glory, acknowledging him, honoring him, extending his fame, and reputation. Now, I wonder what you make of all that. I wonder what your worship is about. Is the glory of God its great aim? If you're anything like me, uh, you perhaps don't find it altogether easy to untangle what's going on when you worship. So I grew up singing in a school choir under our formidable music director, Mr. Oxley. And um, each term we would practice lots and then we would sing uh, in a cathedral. And at uh, one time, I think we were in Durham Cathedral for, for this, and we were all very nervous for some reason. Uh, and we were so nervous, in fact, that when it came to our great moment, I don't know, it was the first anthem or something, no one made a sound. <laughs> now, in retrospect, I think we were probably performing for fear of Mr. Oxley, rather than singing for the glory of God. And you know, actually, that had quite a big impact on me. I think for many years, I basically couldn't connect music with true worship at all. I don't think I knew any way of relating these two things. If I think back in my own experience, when did I really start to wrestle with worship? Is when I started writing prayers. That was all I could do. I'm going to actually write out what I want to say to God. Look, I actually had to make the I glorify you this morning, Lord. Really? But that was the only way I could get my mind really actively worshipping. It won't be necessarily the same for you. But whatever shape our worship may take, the point is what makes it worshipful, worshipful is the one who it's for. It's actually for God. So the tunefulness, if, it's, if our worship takes the form of singing, the tunefulness, or otherwise, is neither here nor there. If you're a bit of a croaker, or if you sing like a lark, it doesn't really make, make a difference. The Lord is worshipped by the attitude of your heart. The skill of our musicians, and we love them. They are so skillful. The eloquence of the worship leader. We're grateful for them all. It doesn't actually make a difference about whether something is worshipful or not. The attitude of our hearts trained on the glory of God. That, that's, that's the essence of what makes worship worship. That's the glory of God.
Next, second picture I want you to, to bear in mind as you think about worship is the freedom of the cross, the freedom of the cross. On Friday, uh, Scotland's first minister, Nicola Sturgeon, told the BBC that after becoming uh, PM, Liz Truss had still not called her. This was a month after her appointment, and she said this was something which, in her own words, was absurd and unprecedented. Well, I don't know whether you think that Nicola should have had a call from Liz or not. I guess the point is, either way, all of us, we recognize something of what she's saying. That where respect is due and it isn't given, that's an issue. And of course, that's a problem for us in our worship. What about if the one who's due respect is God and the one who's not giving the respect is us? You may remember from your Old Testament, that story of the golden calf. Do you remember God freed the people of Israel from Egypt and they're in the desert. God calls Moses up onto the mountain uh, to speak to him. Uh, But because it takes a while, the people lose interest in the God who actually saved them and got them there. And instead, they get Aaron to gather up all their jewelry, melt it down and make a golden calf so they can worship that instead. And in a sense, the people of Israel is every one of us. If we're honest, we know we don't worship God as he desires. We often don't give him the respect that he is due. We're capable of forgetting him minutes after he's sorted out some great dilemma of ours. And all the while, our thoughts suddenly turn to to something shiny, man-made. And sometimes, certainly if your life is anything like mine, we're even like that in church. Precisely at the moment where apparently we're worshipping God, our minds are somewhere completely different about the new microwave we bought or whatever. Now, here's the thing. That's a denial of our purpose. That is a problem. It's an offense against God. It's deserving of his rejection. Now, what, what do we do about that? Well, the wonderful thing is that the Bible doesn't stop at uh, the worship of the golden calf. It goes on to tell a wonderful story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross to free us from our sins. So if you've put your trust in, in Jesus, you are free from condemnation. You are free from condemnation, whatever you have done. And that includes even in your motivations for worship. You know, even as you come to the Lord in worship and the devil comes up to you, starts whispering in your ear, hypocrisy, you don't really mean this. We, are, we know we're, not, we're far from being perfect worshippers. Our focus wanes, doesn't it? Our hearts wander. But we don't need to worry because God has forgiven us. He accepts us in his presence because of the Lord Jesus. And so we can worship the Lord with confidence and without fear. You know, I think that means something really important for this thing that we so love in our age called authenticity. Everyone loves authenticity these days. And rightly so. Authenticity is a great aim for us as Christians. We want our worship to be true. We want our hearts and our words all to be aligned. We don't want our worship to be a charade. And yet this side of eternity, we will never be totally authentic. We'll never be rid of sin. We will never completely overcome the instinct for the golden calf, if you like. And so we will always come to worship with a divided heart on some level. But even if we do, we don't despair. 
We claim the freedom of the cross. The Lord Jesus died for me today, and so I am free to worship him. And we keep going. Let me say, by the way, if all of that talk of the freedom of the cross is completely new to you, I would love to speak to you about that. I would love to explain that to you. That's where you start uh, with a life and a relationship with the Lord Jesus. So that's the freedom of the cross. And then thirdly, most briefly, the, the glory of God, the freedom of the cross, a global sound. A global sound. Psalm uh, 96 uh, sees the glory of God as something that, that resounds around the whole world. Verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Say among the nations. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? It's like sort of you know, fly one of those planes with a banner around the city saying, praise the Lord. Only fly it around every single city and town and village of the world. Our worship is something that is to be heard everywhere. And so the psalm goes on. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. That's pretty much everything, isn't it? Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. And so it's not just all the people in the world who are made for worship. It's all the things in the world that are intended for worship and to praise God. And you know, that's why we come together to worship. God's desire is for a global sound of worship. So let's think about this practically. Let's say you come together in your small group. When you meet together, you say hello to everyone, catch up, whatever. Have your biscuit, have your tea, whatever. It doesn't have to be like that. It can be whatever. And then you worship together. Let's say you sit down, you pray. It's no longer ten private thoughts of worship. It's ten public voices of worship joining together in a chorus. By the way, if you'd like some help with how you might introduce worship into your small group, whatever shape it takes, do have a word with Stu or with me or or others. Or when we gather here on, on Sundays with hundreds of others and with music, we get layers of praise. I know, because I, I, I roam around on a Sunday and I hear you all with your wonderful harmonies and so forth. Different registers, harmonies, instruments, all shaping a single song. It's a broadcast of praise. In fact, ours literally is a broadcast of praise. We're on the live stream. Fantastic. Great to see you if you're with us. And actually, one of the lovely things about the live stream that we have is that people who are not able to be with us in person here this morning, they can join in. You can join in with the worship of God's people, because that's God's will, that we join in one global sound. And that, after all, is where we're ultimately going. I know the Queen's funeral was some time ago now, but one of the moments that still stuck with me was that final hymn she chose. Changed from glory into glory, say the words, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee. Lost in wonder, love, and praise. Isn't that a lovely idea? Queen Elizabeth taking her crown off before the Lord. And that is what we're all going to do. Anyone who follows the Lord, that's a picture of all of our heavenly worship. If you're following Christ, you are headed for an eternity in the presence of God, worshipping him together with all the saints across all time and space, 
in one single, united, global, Christ-glorifying sound. And what we get to do when we gather together is a little glimpse of that future purpose, a global sound. So the glory of God, we worship for the glory of God. We worship out of the freedom of the cross, and we worship for the sake of one global sound. Now, we're going to do just that now. Uh, We're going to stand together and sing. And of course, the aspiration of this is not just that we will make a sound, but that we will tune our hearts to the grace and love of God and worship him. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.